a cowboy with spurs and give it shoes. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That is American <laughs> diner slang for uh, give me a Western omelet or a Denver omelet with fries and make it a to-go order because uh, we're in America this week and I just love diner food. Uh, I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Now I want an F1 race in Denver. I want to see the athletes, <laughs> see how they do it at, at altitude. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like Dri- Mexico. Drive, yeah, driving's a car. Yeah, it's too easy. We need to we need to really <laughs> make them squeeze their lungs a little bit harder. Yeah, but the uh, the field goals go much farther. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? <laughs> Not bad. A little. Um, I'm kicking myself because my partner uh, texted me uh, this week and, and she was like, "Is." Is the Amer is the USGP happening this week? And I was like, yeah. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, that's right. She had business in Austin, and oh. so she's down there. And apparently, like, she's probably staying in a hotel where like the Ferrari uh, pit crew at least is staying. Really? Yeah. She's like, there's a lot of sleepy guys, sleep sleepy guys in red Ferrari jumpsuits. Um, at the <laughs> she's sleazy or sleepy, sleepy. Oh, okay. Um. And there's two like showroom grade like uh, Ferrari street street cars uh, like parked outside her hotel. So oh my the thing God. I'm kicking myself is like, well shit, she already had a trip down there. I would have mm. just piled on, on on the back of that and been like, let's go, let's go see the race. Let's let's pay those scalpers prices. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'd probably give a shit once I paid. Yeah. Uh, If you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. And if you are new to Formula One itself, we have an episode just for you. Our preseason primer uh, assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go listen to that, it's episode 137. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons. They cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? Uh, Later this week, we're recording a Life of Speed, the Juan Manuel Fangio story. Well, we're not recording the documentary. We're recording our impressions of the documentary, which will be up uh, either later this week or next week. We'll, we'll, We'll figure that one out. Um, I've also got a track guide for Coda going up this week, and I'm going to check out that Horizon Chase Turbo uh, Senna DLC and stick that up on the channel next week as a sort of uh, um, in-betweener while, we, while we're waiting for the Mexican Grand Prix to come around. Uh, but yeah, loads up there. This year's been jam-packed full of Patreon-exclusive podcasts and videos, so join up today and get access to all of it. And you can be just like, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're a crazy person and you want to put our the name on the side of our F1 car, our sort of podcast car it's sort of like a metaphorical car uh you can be just like these people whose names you now know and love <laughs> jason kelly will romp umberto roca troy stammer circuit demon reagan sniggs connor mcmanners joe roberts jason chadwick abdullah althani bailey foot bpm drew stewart simon villeneuve David Mule, Josh Haynes, Tractor Share, Gnarly Goat, Veal Shanks, last week's uh, newbies, Iron Station Studios, and this week's newbies, Anna Fagan. Thank you, Anna. Welcome to the crew. Awesome. 
well, let's just jump right into the news here, such as it is. Uh, kind of a quiet week ahead of the American Grand Prix. Everyone just getting out of the way of all those uh, Twitter um, photos of every time Daniel Ricardo dressed up in a cowboy hat or shaved a handlebar mustache into his head. Uh, yeah, but really, he, really he gave Josh stuff. Allen way too much confidence, clearly, when they when they met during the week because he kind of messed up the end of that game. But uh, apparently apparently, if, if they win the Super Bowl, they're going to do a shoey, but <laughs> not, not quite sure how likely that is. Um. So, but uh, I'd say the bi- the biggest thing here is uh, the revelation of next year's twenty three race calendar. Danny, oh my why don't god. you take us through this? Oh my god! Um, shall we go? Do you want to just go through the dates? I feel like we we have talked enough. I think dates would be a little heavy for a Specific? podcast, but okay. why don't you just get, order like, order? Yeah, okay. Let's, yeah, let's we, put it in terms that I put it in, which is when I realized how long we'd actually be not recording the show before we had to start like spinning up 2022 stuff, and it's yeah. like six weeks of gap once we wrap up the season it's like uh wow they're gonna kick the season off march 20th huh all right yeah and we're gonna yeah so like don't don't put the microphone too far away you know just maybe off to one side but like don't there's no point putting it in a cupboard or the garage or anything because we're gonna be up for testing a couple weeks before that and oh can't stop won't stop man it's 24 hours uh, that's the the world of Formula One. Uh, yeah, we've talked around a lot of the what will be here next year, what won't be, you know, returning favorites, all that sort of stuff. So let's uh, let's just look at it. The twenty three races we will be starting in Bahrain, and as uh, as Rob said, on the twentieth of March. Then Saudi Arabia, so they're sticking down there. Then Australia, which used to be the traditional sort of. Uh, debut of Formula One. I will say, I I personally think Australia is one of the least likely ones to happen on a year to year basis, given the COVID stuff. And I'm not quite sure they're at that place yet, but we'll see. Uh, then we're at Imola, then Miami. So the American Grand Prix are basically as far away as from each other as they kind of can be. <laughs> um, then Spain, Monaco, Azerbaijan. Sort of a mini European leg there, <laughs> of sorts. Canada, which will again we haven't had in years. Great Britain, Austria, France, Hungary, Belgium. Now we're sorry, Hungary. I should say is is basically the 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 summer break is when when that happens. So we still have Canada wedged in with Europe. It's I don't know why this continues to be the case. It must be some date thing, but there you go. Um. I wonder if it's like availability of like Ile de, the whatever it's called, not Ile de France, Ile de Canada, <laughs> whatever the, the name of the island is. Um, so then we return to from the uh, relatively short summer break. I guess it's still three or four weeks for Spa in Belgium, Zandvoort, then Monza, Sochi, Marina Bay. Man, I forgot about Singapore. Uh, Suzuka, USA. Mexico, Brazil, and then finishing uh, once again in Abu Dhabi. So having a sort of a Middle Eastern sandwich, as it were, mm. um, on the season. Any standouts for you guys in terms of like what feels good or what feels weird? 
Uh, well, the the main thing missing from here is China, right? Right. Yeah. Which I don't know that I'll necessarily miss. Um, I would rather have Australia and Canada and Singapore back. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like China. I like that weird corkscrew. I like the stand. Corkscrew's it's one of the cool. most impressive Crazy straight stands. is cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. I like what car what goes fast. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of the, the yeah one of the fastest and longest ones, longest straight in the se- in the in the season. I think I will miss China. I think I won't miss it if it turns out that like Jetta is a banger or something like that, right? Like I I'll I'll be fine with that. But if if it isn't, I'll probably be like, well, shit, we could we get we could be racing China, um, much the yeah, way I, I still I, can miss Malaysia. <laughs> That's so China falls in in maybe it's because the era that it sort of joined F one or I think it probably has a lot to do with the circuit layout but to me it always felt like a Malaysia Istanbul it was like one of those you know what I mean so where it was and you, you there was a chance of getting good races there um, and yeah I don't know oh, but Japan's I, back that'll be great I hope it happens yeah. like I'm like it it feels like the, so it it seems the thing that's coming into view is like. A no COVID world is not happening. Um, so yeah. everything's going to be kind of a, it's a risk mitigation world. Uh, and I am not sure what risk levels uh, Japan and Australia will end up choosing to tolerate for running events like this. Because uh, I think they are being more stringent than we are in the United States. Uh, and also, like F1 to island nations like that is a whole other bag of tricks right? right it's it's a real like we are inviting foreigners into the country <laughs> you know to hang out together in hotels and stuff so i think it like outside of their own domestic like how sensitive they both are and they definitely both are seemingly more so than lots of other countries the specifics of f1 also aren't exactly favorable for you know any country that's taking this seriously i wonder if that's why there's 23 races because they're just like they ex- almost expect one or two of them not to make it. Well, and could be they've sort of hinted that like Turkey isn't on this list, but it, they they're still sort of keeping some circuits in their back pocket. Is kind of the sense I've gotten of like, well, you know, we might have to we might have to rotate some things onto the schedule. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if if a couple more cancellations happen, we see some we see some flex in the schedule. Um, I think the other thing that leaps out for me in this is, uh, and I understand why this is, just because of you're creating the new calendars on the backs of the old ones, so you can't fully rationalize it. But I just can't stop thinking about, like, this is a sport that's like, damn, we need to, we need to deal with our emissions costs and everything. And there's a lot of zigzagging around the planet uh, in this schedule. Yeah. And to a degree, like, Asia, the Pacific Rim, the distances are already huge, like, to a yeah, degree. Exactly. Like, there's not really much. There's not really a lot of difference between, like, you know, bouncing from, like, you know, Singapore up to Japan versus flying shit across uh, from from like uh, you know the Middle East up to up to Japan or something, but it, it does kind of strike me that they still haven't quite figured out how to create a schedule that doesn't involve freighting stuff 
repeatedly back to home base and then back across the planet. But you can you can you can see that like you know money will always speak louder because the inclusion of the Miami Grand Prix is a perfect example of this this you know uh, this battle between those two forces because they've basically put it like Miami's in May. Yeah. And then USA is in October. And like, of course it is. Because if you're setting up the Miami Grand Prix, you're terrified of Kota cannibalizing your race or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So they're going to put them as far away from each other as possible so that they get as many people going to the race as possible. Same with Italy. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, Same Miami can't be anywhere near hurricane season. <coughs> too. That's true, like, too. But like Abu Dhabi and Bahrain yeah. and Saudi Arabia being so far away from each other as well. You know, similar thing. It's... um. I'm a little bit bummed about Portimao. That's the only one that I was mm. kind of hoping we might we might. St- I, I can understand it though. But between Imola and Portimao, I th- I think I would have taken Portimao if I had to choose between the two of those. But I guess Imola made a good case, and it's classic. You know, people really like that circuit too. Yeah. So the 20th of March to the 20th of <clears throat> November. Yeah. That Woo-hoo. means two triple headers. Looks like. Uh. Autosport has a quote here from Andreas Seidel saying, uh, we're in favor of a race calendar of a maximum of 20 races. Yeah, this is a lot. I'm trying to look at the triple headers. It looks like we have back from the summer break. So Spa, Zanvoort, Monza looks like a triple header. And so does Singapore, Suzuka, USA. No, no, no. That's not right. There's a gap there. He also says, I think also on the commercial side, the focus on quality and exclusivity works. That's something Vettel has also been saying. Like, if you have too many races, then they're not special. And I kind of agree with that. Where's the other triple letter? I'm I'm trying to to see it here. Russia, Singapore, Japan. Uh, Oh, that's the other one. Okay. Russia, Singapore, Japan. Yeah. You know, three places relatively close to each other. Um. (laughs) Uh, yeah, like, and the other thing is, it's just thinking about, okay, so the season ends, uh, you know, 20 November, effectively, uh, all these operations are going to be sort of going to break by start of December, but then you think about, like, when you do, when car reveals start, and then testing, like, the machine's going to be spinning back up, uh, you know. January 1st, the late, I bet they get, yeah. all get Christmas off, and then, it's gonna bam. Yeah, it's, it's a rough schedule. Uh, for sure, for sure, and the notion maybe they'll just you know maybe they'll leave all the tools in Abu Dhabi so that next year they can just pick them up on the way to Bahrain. They'll just drive well, down the road and get them. Yeah, I mean this is this is the thing. Like, I don't know. Like, this is one of those situations where um, <laughs> I'm thinking about like when the NFL imposed a 17th game, uh, a, a 17th game, like. They had to pay for that. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they're paying for the players to to do that. The notion right. that it's kind of just like, well, the de- the terms of the deal have changed. Deal with it. Um, I can see where this feels like twenty three races is about the limit of what you can do before you start seeing real cracks uh, open up. And yeah, if McLaren's out there being like <laughs> more than twenty sucks, then I can see that being a problem. But should be a lot of good racing at least. Yeah. I'm excited for all the racing that's happening. You know, I don't want to begrudge it too much because this is awesome. And especially given the past couple of years we've had, this would be terrific to have so much. Um, but yeah, it, it does, it does, it does feel like a lot. It does feel like, you know, you know, like like more than what I ordered. I'll be happy to have it, and I'll definitely take some home and have it tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm not going to yeah. eat this all right now. 
Uh, all right. Well, let's let's speaking of leftovers. Um, Rob, <laughs> we have some uh, clarification on something that happened in the last race. Yeah. So we were talking about uh, shouldn't something have happened when Hamilton forced Perez wide and Perez cut through the pit entry and went left of the bollard uh, in that race. And Michael Massey actually explained that the rules are pretty clear cut on this point. Uh, Massey said, I had a look at it, absolutely. But as a regulation state in the notes, you only have to keep to the left of the bollard if you're committed to entering the pit lane. So nothing in it. It was good, hard racing between the two of them. Neither team, funnily enough, raised the question, neither Mercedes nor Red Bull. Good hard fight plan. Uh, so yeah, it. I guess mostly that bollard's there to stop the little mind games of like, I'm going into the pits. Oh no, I'm not. But right. if somebody gets forced wide, apparently that's fair game. Uh, so it's, it's not really, I, I always sort of imagine like that pit entry might be sacrosanct in the way that pit exit is sometimes sacro- sacrosanct right. from a safety standpoint. It's not really what's going on here. Uh, so I thought that was uh, interesting. It's such a clear cut regulation uh, and help me understand why, yeah, nothing happened around it. Uh, well, speaking of nothing happening, someone's a bit angry about that. Uh, Sebastian Vettel has been talking to the press, um, which is unusual for him. And so to get kind of this, we got kind of a full dump on uh, everything that's that's in Sebastian's mind. Um, what has been going on here? Well, I don't think it'd be a huge surprise to anyone who, you know, we've talked about uh, Vettel's increasing social awareness and his interest in activism uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, so he gave kind of a wide-ranging interview around these topics, uh, a lot of it being, of course, about about sustainability and about the future of F1. Uh, I think the race has the full write-up. Uh, it wasn't an exclusive interview. It was, a, it was sort of a discussion he had with a lot of uh, press but uh, the race like has the full transcript from the conversation. And one of the things that he was really concerned about is just that F1 risks becoming automotively irrelevant with the direction that uh, the auto industry is being forced to go. And his point was that, you know, we've just spent 10 years on, you know, as he, as he put it, really remarkable, uh, powerful engines, but they don't really have much in common with uh, the direction road cars have gone. And he's a bit concerned the same thing is about to happen. Uh, and as he sees it, because of the engine freeze regulations that are coming, he is concerned that F1 is basically going to stop thinking about the problem of power units until it comes up again after the engine freeze sort of lifts uh, in in several years' time. Mm. And his point is, we need to start thinking about it now. Uh, we need to start thinking about what is going to make F1 relevant to the cars that are being produced then uh, and will be produced in the future. Uh, the, the thing that sort of jumped out at me was also that... So, we've... F1 currently, one of the things it's promoting is this notion of uh, switching its fuel source to, uh, like, biofuels. And Vettel had an interesting point, and maybe realize I, I, I've lost the thread on this discussion. He felt, he was arguing that uh, biofuels probably aren't the way to go. Um, and he feels like there actually needs to be a lot more attention paid to synthetics. 
Um, because, like, this is the part that kind of startles me. There is apparently some notion uh, that synthetics might solve some of the problems that, like, biofuels do not. Biofuels, you're kind of trying to, like, create a carbon neutral uh, process, but you're still, like, burning fuel. Um, and it kind of made me wonder, like, Vettel was so heated about, like, looking into synthetics. I'm like, how do they, how is that better? Um, and sort of a cursory look is that some of the directions synthetic fuels are, are considering going uh, actually get a, get start to point away from hydrocarbons. Uh, so that was, that was pretty interesting stuff. And it indicated some thinking that I hadn't considered around uh, sustainability. But yeah, it was, it was can, a, I, can I, can I offer an alternative? Yeah. Just while we're on the topic. Um, well, Jackie Stewart has, has an idea that maybe oh, good. Sebastian Vettel should, uh, should listen to yeah i'm not i'm not quite sure i didn't want to make a big point of this but i just do want to pull this quote from an interview he recently did with the rake um uh so jackie stewart here uh nuclear i believe is probably the best as some of the others create a lot of waste electric is, is a good example formerly has generated a lot of interest due to the energy agenda the energy agenda that sounds loaded what to do with all those worn out batteries environmentally so that's a good point. Uh, nuclear offers many benefits, he goes on to say, and will make it happen fast and efficiently in Formula 1 because that's what we're good at, fast responses to problem solving so through our robust systems. The technology in F1 are the best they are, and the response time is lightning fast, like the cars, much quicker even than the aerospace technology. The ultimate solution will come quickly, and it will be impressive. So there you go. If you want... I mean, If you thought Jackie Roman Grosjean's crash wasn't big enough... <laughs> This has that unmoored quality that I awesome. recognize from like the last like few years of American politics, where I'm like, "Where is this well, coming from?" I it's had awesome. never heard of the rake before, but uh, clicking on the link now, I see that the uh, the uh, the subtitle to the publication is "The Modern Voice of Classic Elegance." So this <laughs> tracks, I think. Yeah, but I I think you know those old cars, the old F1 cars that had that kind of thin. Uh, sticking up behind the driver's head, they look a lot yeah. like Mister Fusion from That's Back to the true. Future. So yeah, I I think I I know where he's getting this idea. Let's make one. Let's make one nuclear car and just kind Danny, of see. Just because you love Fallout a lot, <laughs> just see what it's like. I don't necessarily. I think I don't. Nuclear energy to me, like for this to work, what what we what are we what we are saying is that there needs to be a nuclear reactor on this car, right? Like there's no. <laughs> So is it Which steam has been tried. that's coming out? So we're just going to... Okay, it's been tried. Yes, like nuclear cars and nuclear planes have been tried. Like people okay, have... Like, like like Dr. Emmett Brown or... No, like for, like for real. Like the uh, Army, the uh, Air Force, I think, tested like... Uh, I think one of the X-planes might be a uh, like a, a nuclear-powered aircraft. The thing you run into... Oh, yeah, submarines, I guess. Well, yeah, but th- right. that's yeah. the thing. But that's the thing. It, wor- it makes sense on a ship because it's so frigging big that the size of a reactor isn't necessarily like uh, a fatal problem. Well, people have been saying F one cars are too small in the modern era. So <laughs> that is just- what they've been saying. They should be bigger uh, and heavier. I think is uh, is is what we all know the sport needs: bigger, like heavier like F one like cars. What about like a mini, just a mini reactor? Like, how big does the reactor need to be to be on an F one car? You know, I don't know what. Think- he- See, this is the thing. I don't know what he's proposing. 
Like because it's it, this is this is wild. It's like on the one hand, this is old man talking, and it's like you know, nuclear energy is still the future, and it's like mm. not anymore, Jackie. Uh, it was Reader's in- Digest. They were talking about how it's just steam. It's just steam that comes out of the pipe. It's not. It's 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 fine. Yeah. To say to say nothing of all the nuclear well, waste. And the, yeah, and that's the other notion. Is like, <laughs> so the the only thought I, when I first saw this, I was like, he must be talking about using nuclear to power the grid to recharge yeah. the electric cars. But then he's yeah. like, but we got what are we gonna do with these batteries? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, Jack. You probably nothing as difficult as dealing with the spent fuel rods. Uh, <laughs> God, just imagine F one crack up immediately. Like, like every shunt, the entire stands have to be cordoned off. Like hazmat teams come. The car is like entombed in the sarcophagus. And uh, well, that's well, that's that's, that's why having so many of these new F one tracks is great. Because like, let's say we have a nuclear, you know, there's a nuclear crash at Austin or Sochi. You just go next for the next, you know, eight hundred years. We just go somewhere else. <laughs> Roman Grosjean could be Doctor Manhattan right now. If He's already we the Phoenix. Just were brave enough. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, the the super the Superman is real, and he is Austrian French. We're not quite sure. Swiss French. Yeah. Swiss French. There we go. Uh, any any uh, <laughs> final thoughts on Vettel here, Rob? Um. I mean, I, I just think it's the interesting thing about uh, him right now is he's kind of just in the shooting from the hip mode, uh, just mm-hmm. in his career. Um, but it it does seem like he's a bit fatalist about F1's ability to be relevant in the future because, like, it, the 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 concern that runs throughout all of this, uh, you know, contra Jackie's point is that F1's actually very slow. F1 takes for it like takes forever to deliberate uh, on new directions. And he was like, if we like punt on this again, um, we're already like not really relevant to the cars of, of today. If we punt on this again, we won't be relevant to the cars of the future. At that point, it is going to be really hard to sustain interest from a manufacturer standpoint and, and remain like, keeping F1 near the forefront of technology right now. F1 but- is near the forefront of, uh, spent technologies and it, isn't it point. like isn't it so fascinating that we were talking about formula e years ago and saying like all the stuff that they were saying was we want to be ahead of the curb on this like we want to be we want to occupy this space before you know it's it gets swallowed up or you know that this is the future and they're like 100 percent right like what does f1 do at this stage right because we're, we're living in a world in which like i i the the popularity of electric vehicles and maybe it's because i live in the bay certainly when i go home to ireland it's not as it's not as uh, common but even there just seeing any of them is like oh this this legitimately is like there is a there is a we're on the top of the sine curve of this like it feels like or the bottom rather it feels like in the next 10 years it it's going to accelerate so much faster and and formula e is already there so like what i don't even know what they you're right it has to be something further well right formula e is there except for the performance right like i think this is the thing yeah. is like formula e is Still not it, like if part of what you're selling is just like ridiculous speed and capacity. Um, I don't think Formula E is there yet. Uh, what's and I, and I think that's that's the thing is like we want you want something in the F1 performance envelope, uh, 
but with like zero tailpipe emissions, uh, basically would be would be the idea. And that is tough to get to because right now Formula E as a spec series um, isn't really there and can't and can't really get there. Um, the, the cars are what they are. I think what you need to see happen is sort of the innovation of F1 uh, married to like electric and that's not where, it, where it's at right now. And right now F1's kind of not really leading the charge in that direction either in part because like mm. to Vettel's point, part of what you're saying when you're like, we're going to do biofuels is we're not really changing anything. Um, and that's going to be especially, it is going to be hard to change things when your sport is so substantially underwritten by Petro giants. Yeah. It, it, I think that that line of um, thinking from Vettel was, was surprising to me because he, to me has always seemed like the sport's biggest F1 fan. And to hear him say this, uh, there are certain things being talked about for future re- re- regulations that could shift the change into more relevant areas and if they come that's a good thing if they don't come i'm not optimistic i think f1 will disappear if they don't come and probably rightly so because we are at the stage where we know we've made mistakes and we have no time to keep doing mistakes far cry from bring back the v12's vettel yeah (laughs) right uh all right a couple uh a couple of quick hits here um, speaking of Roman Grosjean, we had mentioned, I think, last week that they were trialing new um, gloves for the drivers mm. uh, last weekend, uh, thicker ones to see if if they could uh, wear them and still have the right amount of dexterity. Which um, is a loss they require. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those buttons are not very big. Uh, they got radial switches and everything. Um, so they were trialing some new ones. Uh, apparently, the the upshot is that they're with the thicker gloves. There's really been no downside, and they do give. A, I think Michael Massey was saying about a second and a half longer in a fire. That's which, wild. Yeah. Which when you like Grosjean's hands are still like he'll never fully recover. It sounds like he'll, yeah he's you know he's getting sense back, but they're they're also tender or whatever. Like he can't he doesn't he's still not having them in the sun. Last time I heard it was a couple of months back, but like he was still having issues with it. So mm-hmm. second and a half, yeah, might mean a lot. Yeah. Um. Also this weekend, the conclusion of the W Series, uh, twenty twenty one season. Uh, double double race race one and race two are also are both happening this weekend uh, we got uh, they announced um, this week that the top eight W series drivers will automatically qualify for the 2022 season now this is uh, built into how the W series works um, you just we didn't know exactly whether it was the top eight or the top 10 or top 12 or whatever would move on, but uh, they have clarified that it is the top eight. So that is some extra pressure for everybody uh, going into this weekend. Uh, And the final bit of pre-Austin news is that, remember, uh, I think it was was a bet between Daniel Ricciardo and Zach Brown of McLaren um, saying that if, I think it was, if Ricciardo got on the podium this year, that he would be able to uh, drive oh yeah Zach Brown's um, Zach Brown bought one of Dale Earnhardt's 
NASCAR stock cars. Right. Uh, because he's a very rich man and loves cars. <laughs> and so he has one. And he said, hey, Ricardo, if you uh, get on the podium, I will let you drive it. And Dale Earnhardt, despite him being an American NASCAR star, uh, is is m- so beloved by Daniel Ricardo, the Australian, that uh, Ricardo took his number three um, right. to be his own race number. So he is a huge Earnhardt fan. Uh, and so that's going to happen at the Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Awesome. The that's car cool. is is being driven there, and Ricardo will get to drive it around the track. Love to see it. I would That's love great. to see that. He Kill loves it. America, man. He loves America. He's like, oh yeah. He, he remind, reminds me of myself growing up and sort of just having like twinkly eyes for for everything stuff over here. Like whenever he's over here, like even on Drive to Survive, you know, he seemed to enjoy like hanging out and playing basketball and living here a lot of the time. Saying hey to Rob Zachney. Well, true. Saying, um, saying hey to Rob Zachney. Yeah, yeah no, tell that story, Rob. Yeah, I ran, in, I ran into him. We've talked about this, but I ran into him uh, at Red Bull uh, when I worked there. And uh, yeah, it was God, very, I do it was not very remember weird. This in the morning, I'd gone in and I was like, who the fuck is driving that car? Because like, also, F1 driver cars, he's driving um, at the time. Uh, no, I think he was. Funny enough, I think he was driving McLaren. Because Red Bull doesn't make their own say, car, so he's he, driving whatever he wants. Yeah, he was driving McLaren. He, yeah. And when you see those P1 things, <laughs> maybe like you get inured to them if you live in like uh, like Miami or something. You're just so used to seeing them. But like pulling the Red Bull parking lot, I was like, "Whoa, that's a new car." That's there were some <laughs> nice cars in the parking lot, not that nice. That was a category. And then yeah, at the end of the day, uh, I was out out in the alley having a smoke, and he sort of came out after time in the uh, in the uh, simulator. And yeah, he was a nice enough guy, uh, charming. But I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think the other thing is, and this may change, I think one reason F1 drivers like America so much is because F1 isn't big in America. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's probably also, like... Good point. It's it's a weird, like, uh, the, most athletes in a lot of other sports, um, like, I don't, I think if you're, like, an NBA superstar, I'm not sure there's anywhere on the planet you can go where people, like, don't know who you are. But if you're in F1, it's this weird thing where, like, if you're in Europe or, uh, you know, if you're in Europe or Australia, like, people know who you are. People get people get excited. But, like, there's still probably a large portion of America where, like, you're just a guy and you can be anonymous. And that's probably <laughs> a prized a prized possession uh, when you're an F1 driver. I remember well, the, uh, the, guy who played, the guy who played Hurley in Lost went to my hometown for holiday because they figured that no one would know who they were i guess that's like all irish people do is watch television in the winter mate <laughs> but also like i we generally don't bother celebrities so wait hurley was, was irish no he was just on holidays there. okay it's like isn't it, i think he's hawaiian or something is it i'm not sure quite sure where he's from um but uh yeah anyway celebrities celebrities all right well let's take it to the famous austin grand prix i almost said australian nope He'll Austin. be doing a shoey if he wins here in Australia. Aust- no, uh, Aust- Austinia, Austria. Austin, Circuit of the Americas. Would you believe it's almost been 10 years, folks, since this race started? We're all old. Time makes fools of us all. This was uh, started in 2012. It was the first ever purpose-built Formula One track in the United States of America. Before then, they were driving on 
all manner of race car tracks from all manner of American race car disciplines. Coda, they'd built in Austin and said, let's stick a big hill on this thing. Let's put mounds of dirt up and make this crazy turn one hairpin at the top of a hill. And according to Pierre Gasly and a bunch of MotoGP people, it's turning into lumpy soup at the moment and there's bumps all over the track. And I guess we won't know exactly how bumpy uh, Coda is for the F1 cars until they get out on practice. Uh, So that should be very interesting. But alas, 56 laps, five and a half kilometers long. This has been known as the Franken track for a long time. It sort of has elements of some European tracks. It has sections that feel like they're sort of piecemeal taken out of other tracks. It's interestingly, Istanbul's sort of multi-apex turn we have in Sector 3 here. Maggots and Beckett's from Silverstone is often cited when the end of Turn 1 with the S-curves here in Coda. And uh, elements of the Hockenheim ring, perhaps pre uh, its rejuvenation, um, especially uh, on the, the back straight here too. Uh, it's a fun track. Drivers like it. It is very tough on brakes and tires though. Um, and also we've had rain here in the past that just completely thrown it for a loop because you have a lot of mid-speed turns which aren't ideal for for um, for uh, for wet racing. Um, there's sort of two primary uh, overtaking spots and as you would imagine, both of these are at the end of the DRS zones. Uh, the first being that hairpin at the top of turn one. It's quite wide up there. Um during qualifying laps, you'll see them taking the the outer the outer turn, the sort of go-karting line, as they say, um, to get extra speed going into sector one. So it's super, super wide. There's loads of different ways into that turn, but especially on the first uh, lap, you'll see some people being a little bit cheeky, trying to dive up the inside. Um, and then similarly, on the back straight, which is relatively long, uh, entering what is turn 12, it's another sharp uh, left-hander. So again, it's also downhill a little bit, that one. There's something like a 30-meter elevation change on this track. Um, So yeah, turn 12 and turn 1 is where you'll see most of the overtaking action. But there has been lots of... uh, I would say there's a lot of close fighting leading up to those, which is good, which makes Coda uh, a fun track. I think, you know, it's one of those ones where even a boring race here is usually pretty good. Usually has some interesting action. Um, and as a spectator, I think both in person at the track and on television, it's a great watch. They did a great job of building a track that looks different in its various sections. So I always look forward to it. Uh, it's counterclockwise as well, which is, you know, increasingly rare. All right. Well, um, weather-wise, on qualifying day, it looks to be just balmy. Looks like uh, mid-80s Fahrenheit or high 20s Celsius. Uh, with wind out of the south at uh, 11 miles an hour or 18 kilometers an hour and only 2% chance of precipitation. Hmm. Uh, However, on race day, similar temps, similar wind, maybe a little stronger in the wind area, but precipitation climbs to 17% at at race time. So just a little climb. Just just a little. (laughs) Uh, Heading into the weekend, the driver standings look like this. Max Verstappen is on top with 262.5 points to Lewis Hamilton's 256.5. That's a difference of six points, everybody. Uh, Valtteri Bottas is in third with 177 points. Lando Norris in fourth with 145. 
and Sergio Perez in fifth with 135. Behind them, Carlos Sainz has 116.5 to Charles Leclerc's 116. Only 0.5 separate the teammates at Ferrari. Uh, behind them, Daniel Ricciardo has 95 points, Pierre Gasly with 74, and Fernando Alonso in 10th with 58. Then we've got Ocon with 46, Fettel with 35, Stroll with 26, Sonoda with 18, Russell with 16, Latifi's got 7, Raikkonen has 6, Giovinazzi has 1, and then Schumacher, Kubica, and Mazepin have 0. In the constructor standings, Mercedes is on top with 433.5 points to Red Bull's 397.5. McLaren is in third with 240 to Ferrari's 232.5. Alpine's in fifth with 104. Alpha Tauri's got 92. Aston Martin has 61. Williams has 23. Alfa Romeo has 7. And Gene Haas and team have 0. Gene Haas. Yes, indeed. If you'd like to score some points of your own, you can join our Fantasy League for the final few races uh, by clicking the link in the show notes. Shall we take it to some emails, Danny? Let's do it. Shift up one podcast at gmail.com or F1. Sorry, dot com. Do not send them to dot com. That's a different email address or F1 cool slash emails. I'll take this first one from Dave. Why is the qualifying start-finish line different than the normal race day start-finish line? I don't think we've ever had this question. Um, And it's a very good one. And it's not necessarily true on every track either. So the way the lines work is different per track. But there are some general rules that sort of apply here. Um, the The finish line is always where the race control box is. So they need to be able to... You know, in days of yore, especially where you didn't have electronic timing systems, uh, they would need to see the order of the cars, uh, especially at the end of a lap. So practically everywhere, the finish line, whether or not it is the same place as the start line, is where the uh, race control box is. And it generally tends to be towards what you consider the back of the start finish straight, like early, which is why like when they come around the corner at like, you know pick a racetrack uh, generally it's the it's the you know like uh actually i was about to say monza but that actually breaks the rule um uh th- it's usually at the start of the start finish right the start line as you can imagine tends to be further up the grid because they need to have all the cars behind it so that's why you don't have the start and finish line being in the same spot if the box is at the back of the grid because otherwise then you would have the cars which did happen in the past, like Silverstone's old start finish, for instance. You'd have them sort of around the corner, you know what I mean? <laughs> like like uh, starting there. Happens in Monaco a bit. Um, but there is no hard and fast rule over whether or not they need to be the same spot or whether or not the race finish line is the same spot as the qualifying finish line. So because a qualifying lap is a lap of the race, the entire length of the race, generally the start of the qualifying lap is at the back line the finish line that's where so when you start your lap at the back of the straight generally that's when the qualifying timer starts so that you have a full rotation of the entire lap before you set your qualifying time and then there is the like the checkered flag line doesn't necessarily need to be on either either so look if you look at a place like um circuit de gilles villeneuve they finish right at the at the checkered flag line same as the start line 
Monaco similar. There was that famous uh, Bjorn Weinheim incident where he slowed down in F3, or I guess it was formerly whatever it was called back then, um, at where he thought was the star finish the checkered flag line which was the wrong line it was the one at the back and he got overtaken <laughs> as he was waving to his pit box um if you look at uh schumacher in silverstone do you remember he pitted in 1998 to finish his right. lap when he was coming in for his penalty the star finished uh the checkered flag line was at the back on that one right so oh it's- and it extended into the pits so when he entered the pits and crossed that line he won the race he won the race while he was going in for his penalty, which right. is complete, which which has been now written out. You know, you can't do that anymore, obviously. But by, so back good. then was was uh, was completely fine as long as you would come in to serve your penalty. Whereas these days, it wasn't you completely to, fine. Like everyone lost their shit yes. when he did that. It was <laughs> it was confusing. more that nobody it occurred to nobody <laughs> to like cheat that way. Yes, uh, until Michael, with his singular <laughs> gift for finding an edge case, uh, <laughs> highlighted the the gap around the rules. Right. Well, well what is F one without uh, without if not pushing the boundaries? Right. So, what you tend to see on the more modern tracks these days is that you have a start line at the front, a finish line at the back. They generally use the back line for the qualifying lap, and they generally use that back line for the checkered flag I mean, but this it, is why they it, use the timing and scoring line vernacular now instead of like start like the finish right. line uh, exactly. they just try to be like for all things involving like completing a lap only one line matters here and if you're at a race the other wrinkle on this is that generally when you are uh, looking at one of these straights there's a DRS line now as well so <laughs> so it's it's all a little bit um confusing but that but that's why and i think the reason why this doesn't come up as a question so often is that we all have sort of um like just by osmosis we kind of know where the star where the finish lines are on these tracks right when we come to monza we know that the the the, you know they have to wait till they get to the grandstand and then it's early when when the checkered flag is because we've seen it so many times we know that it's not like right off the parabolica you know and we know that monaco is further up because we see where the, the flag gets waved and we remember where Gilles Villeneuve's one is as well um but it, and it sometimes comes up when you have close races near the end because obviously if you come up to a straight there's always the opportunity for overtaking which generally you know doesn't happen if it's early in the corner MotoGP is the same way so uh yeah I hope that answers your question uh, Rob do you mind taking this one from Lucas yeah Lucas writes Hello, fan of the pod here in the U.S. What would you think about Formula One maybe one day racing on another track in the U.S. like the Cleveland Burke Lakefront Airport that Indy used to race? Oh, man. I have not thought about the Cleveland uh, race in ages. That was a cool venue. Um, yeah, they raced on an old – I'm not even sure it was operational still or they might have been racing on a decommissioned part of the airport. That's cool. Um, but, yeah, it was like – just a wide open race. Uh, there were corners, but you know it's all airplane scale, so like everything's wide as hell. Uh, you could fit like <laughs> half the field breast through some of these corners. Uh, I also remember that that surface getting pretty sketchy, and I think this touches on a couple of the reasons that you won't see Formula One embracing some of the more fun things that uh, like Kart did in its glory days. Um, and one is that. As we sort of alluded to with the Coda thing, where they're sort of concerned about like bumps being on the track. If you watch IndyCar, bumps on the track is not something that concerns them. 
Uh, <laughs> right. it's, it's just expected that your car is just going to be sort of jouncing along uh, like a World War II Jeep uh, as, it, as it goes around the ra- race course. Um, and then... So they're they're choosy. F one is choosier about venues. Um, I, like they would. There's a bunch of venues they would not race if things if they had their druthers. Um, they they generally would not want to go to a heavily used uh, street course. Uh, much less a old beat up airport. Uh, two and related to that, F one does have really stringent uh safety standards for like crash recovery areas, runoffs, etc. And so being certified to run an F1 race is not as simple as it might seem. So there's probably a lot of venues. Now, my suspicion is a place like Cleveland would have no problem. That that venue, because there's so much space, they'd probably have no problem like checking the safety boxes. But there's a lot of like cool venues that I think they would struggle to uh, to sort of put, put into action for F1 just because they wouldn't meet F1 standards. I think, like, I don't think F1 could race at uh, the Glen anymore because I don't right. think Glen makes, uh, meets current F1 safety standards. I doubt very much that, like, uh, the Belle Isle circuit that they used to race at, and they might be racing at again, I think I heard. Uh, in Detroit, I'm not sure that would be F1 compatible. So that's that's really the obstacle. To say nothing of the fact that, like, as we discussed last week, F1 wants that money. Like F1, like <laughs> the other thing is, do the people like operating these venues? Is there enough moneyed interest to bring a race to the Cleveland uh, airport? Right. Um, probably not. And like Daytona or Road Atlanta, like maybe these places aren't the best F1. Right, you know. even though they would be killer, right? <laughs> I mean, F1 at Laguna, I think, would rock. Again, I don't know if it meets safety standards, but there's a reason that it's easier to put a deal together for, like, Miami, um, which I have no idea. Right. Sonoma, yeah. baby! Sonoma, <laughs> could you imagine? Yeah. A lot of F1 fans up in Santa Rosa. Mm. <laughs> I'll bet. Uh all right, I'll take this one from Nick, who says, Hey guys, the show is always the high point of my week. Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, I got into F1 heavily during quarantine, and I'm planning to attend the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. Awesome. Being based in the greater NYC area, it's far easier for me to go to Miami as opposed to Kota in Austin. That said, they gave me a time window on October 27th to buy tickets since I pre-registered to buy, but I have zero idea what prices will be like for general admission, nor where on the track I should pick. I know it's a new track, but any tips for picking seats for a first-time GP attendee? Um, in terms of price, boy, I the number I seem to recall, Danny. Yeah, because you bought our tickets and then I paid you, or I remember. So I'm trying to yeah, remember. I think for a three-day ticket in Austin, it was like seven hundred bucks. Was it? Yeah. And that, but you they can, were seated too. There were seats, so that's not general admission, which yeah. is much cheaper. So you don't get a seat, but you can just wander around and, and find a spot wherever you can wherever you can see. And that was all three sessions: so practice, uh, qualifying day, and race day, and and Taylor Swift day, <laughs> and Taylor Swift day. Yeah. Um. So that's maybe in the ballpark of what to expect for this. Um, I felt like GA was about two hundred two fifty. Yeah. So, I think you I think you're right. It was a big gap. So that's not for that that would be a ticket without a seat, but 
you can go to the general admission areas. It's basically first come, first serve. Um, but I'm not sure how much of that there'll be at Miami or how yeah. good that will be. Because Austin was hilly. It was good. It was You could see a lot. From, the GA tickets were good. Yeah. Again, because you have vantage points. But yeah, Miami's like the surface of the city. So yeah, not flat. a lot of undulation there. In terms of like where to sit... I am. I've looked on the Miami Grand Prix website, and um, so far, generally, they will have like a here's a map of the circuit, here's where the grandstands are, and you can kind of get a picture of like where might be a good place to sit. The other thing I like to do is go onto YouTube and say like Circuit of the Americas, turn seventeen or whatever, mm. and you'll generally get someone taking you know a footage of some race or MotoGP or whatever from so you can get a sense of like what the angles are, are like. Some of them also have like virtual um, things on their websites where you can type in a seat number and it'll show you like a 3D render of what you're going to be looking at. Um, But for now, that's really tough to tell because I'm just looking at like a satellite photo that they have on uh, on their website of the track. And I don't I don't see any grandstands. Um, So I I don't know if that means there just won't be will be like Sochi where there are like are barely any or Baku. I imagine the start start finish straight is going to be um, a spot that people are going to want just because you can see the pit lane theoretically from there. Actually, on the map, it looks like the pit lane is on. It's like on the side of the grandstand, so you may not be looking across the track into the pit lane. It may be on your side of the yeah, because the, the hard track. rock is there, is in yeah. the middle. So um, yeah. I don't know if you'd actually get the vantage point to see into the pit lane. Hopefully you would. Um, Seems tough when though, Danny you have and a garage I, overhanging from any seating yeah. right there. Right. When Danny and I went, we I prioritized again, I like looked on YouTube and, and stuff, but I I wanted to be able to see overtaking moves. And so mm-hmm. we uh, our seats were kind of right in a turn complex. It's turn 15, I think, Danny. Yeah, and they kind of um, have one here between turns 11 and 16 has that similar. Like, I bet turn 11 at Miami is going to be an overtaking spot, and then also you'll you'll see them before they go down the back straight. So that could yeah. be a good spot. And I also, the tickets that are further from, am I remember this right? Tickets that were further from the grandstand were generally cheaper or not? Like, I know the grandstand was super expensive, but like, wait, if you're, further from the grandstand the start finish straight oh the Sorry. start finish yeah okay. like the main grandstand whatever you call that thing i um, i don't i don't think so sure. i think it was yeah i would almost suggest getting general admission here because you could sort of snooker yourself into having seats that you, you don't feel great about whereas with ga you can wander around a bit well and maybe you like can see also the wander track. around you can wander around oh if yeah you get. that's true a seat, right? Yeah, um, those work as GA tickets. I yeah, it's it's tough. I I would I would get close to turns because even if it's not like even if it doesn't end up being like a a cool overtaking place, seeing cars go around turns is more interesting than see cars uh, zip by on a straight. And you just get to see the cars. They're going fast. You you kind of don't get to see them so well. <laughs> you can't <laughs> see true. the driver turn in their hands or yeah. I, I I also like wouldn't overly worry about it. Like going to the races, you know, you'll you'll enjoy it in lots of different ways. There'll be lots of cool stuff to do. Yeah. You know, it, it'll be a fun town to be in. 
And like we were saying last week, even if you do get a cool spot like Danny and I did, it was still hard to follow what was happening at the race. So it's really just like just just kind of you're there to kind of absorb the atmosphere and yeah. and, and see the cars cars go fast speaking of the austin grand prix and attending if you are going i got some hot tips on uh on some places in austin so if you want like a hip barbecue spot i hear through the grapevine that <laughs> leroy and lewis is a good barbecue spot um and if you want some uh killer breakfast tacos vera cruz all natural there you go so insider knowledge yeah yeah austin is like there's a lot of really good food lasted. I love going there. It's yeah. so good. It's yeah. good stuff. Um, uh, speaking of the Austin Grand Prix, you got this one. There's a couple of emails kind of in line with this, but I went with Jax here. Hey guys, love the podcast. I live in the Bay Area. So wondering if you guys are doing, or if there are any other established watch parties or gatherings for the race. Would be cool to meet some other fellow newbie F1ers. Uh, so obviously given the times that we live in and, and recent years, a lot of this stuff has ground to a halt. Um, one of the groups that uh, has, we've mentioned before in the podcast, it feels like it's been a few years since we have, um, that are pretty active here is the uh, SF Formula One group, which if you're on Twitter is at SFF1. Um, they did meetups for every race, usually in, in the before times. Um, and I believe that they are actively looking to do some sort of outdoor safe meet up in the bay area so if you're uh, looking for something i would definitely check that correct they've been doing this for longer than we've been doing this podcast so they're they're fairly established and i, I would say like when i lived out in maryland and stuff like i was looking for groups you'll, you'll be surprised if you're near an urban center like generally you can find some sort of group on meetup.com or something that that has an established um uh, time for it uh, there was more on the east coast i found because it was just easier because the timing because the west coast is a little bit trickier um so yeah you know g- given your relative level of safetyness or concern with uh regards to coronavirus obviously take that into account but um certainly there are groups around uh doing that sort of stuff uh yeah there, there are irish pubs in every town <laughs> exactly. uh that are used to people <laughs> wanting to watch soccer so yes there's a really good uh, arsenal football uh, uh club as well arsenal supporters club in uh, maggie mcgarry's in for in san francisco as well so if nothing else that's what we've given the world drinking at 7 a.m <laughs> uh rob you want to take this one our last email from one yeah one right as Rob pointed out, I was one of many kids who figured if Turkish Delight was worth selling your soul for, it must be great. My first experience with it was at Epcot Center in Orlando in the fake England exhibit, and what I tried was the fries <laughs> brand, which is covered in chocolate and filled with jelly and not, as I discovered later, really Turkish Delight at all. I had it later as an adult, and I'm surprised to find out it's basically the same as Apples and Cotlets, a candy made in Seattle, Washington, and was disappointed because I had family from Washington who gave us these every year for Christmas, and so Turkish Delight wasn't a new thing for me after all. Not sure why, but just wanted to share this. Cheers. Apples and Cotlets. Is it the same thing? (laughs) It looks good. Kind of looks like it. I googled it. It's like, it's kind of like an apple Turkish Delight. It's got the dust on it and everything. Hmm. Mm. What do we think? We need a Turk living in Washington State to give us a sort of uh, <laughs> insider. <laughs> My suspicion is they're probably still way sweeter and fruitier for like the American palate than like mm. uh, the more herbaceous uh, actual Turks delight. Like that's my that's my gut. 
but yeah that that was the most the rudest part of the awakening for me was that oh rosewater is just such a for an american palate a foreign flavor yeah or it was to me yeah uh now the thing now the thing that edmund really should have sold out for he should have been like hey witch turkish delight is not gonna cut it but like how much halva you got because that now that you sell out for what is halva um so halva is like uh uh like a nougaty brittle uh like that is Ooh. commonly made like across uh like i think turkey and uh like iran um i think but it's it's sort of all across like the northern Mid- Mid- middle east i think and it's like nut based and mm. uh it's it's incredible um it's it's got sort of sort of the same like subtle flavors and subtler sweetness um but also it it pushes a lot of those those good like okay here's the simplest explanation butterfinger the the, the interior of a butterfinger uh-huh. is absolutely a bastardized like thoroughly corrupted americanized halva like that is <laughs> okay. it is like halva but they were like you know what this does, you know what this needs like seven times the sugar and <laughs> none of the like flavor contrasts it should be sweet and like tacky I do like Man. a butterfinger. Yeah. It's just, it's Turkish. It's like, it's the Constantinople, like, Silk Road <laughs> spice route. Just like East meets West. They just have, like, all of this super good food that just, like, where, like, two worlds collided and, and made a bunch of delicious stuff. I remember getting, like, like having teas from that part of the world. And just, like, they're so sweet and good. Well, my oh, suspicion is the minute you, the minute you're the head of a like multi-ethnic empire you start like magical things happening start happening from on the culinary side uh less magical things are probably happening on the political <laughs> side but the the plus <laughs> side is like well we're just going to take all these these treats from these different cultures and like the elite are going to have it real good uh, is that the canary in the coal mine for like an empire is when you're making the most delicious food it's like it's just about to end. Like you can tell the, the, when Turkish delights came, they were like, of, right? Like Austrian <laughs> pastries. I was like, man, they 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 hit their final form just as the wheels were flying off. Um, so yeah, like now, I don't. I I feel like it is the peculiarity of the American Empire that like the the desserts that will mark its passing will be like ding dongs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, that's it for emails. Uh, you can hit us up at uh, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to send us an email. You can also say hey on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. Uh, I am at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Let's race around the world. Yeah, all right. A little Elvis in there. Yeah, for, thank uh, you. For America. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> we are kicking off the weekend in uh, Extreme E. Oh uh, is this is this right? In no, it's not. I don't think this is right. I think instead of Brazil, aren't we racing in somewhere in uh, the UK? Let me, Danny, can you look that up while I run through the rest? Uh, sure, of this? I'll the, do it. Yeah, the extreme final e. extreme. Yeah, okay. on it. 
the NASCAR Xfinity Series is racing at the Kansas Speedway in Kansas City, Kansas, for the Kansas Lottery <laughs> 300. Sardinia. Where's that? Where's that? Sorry, Rob, what? Streaming appears to be in Sardinia this weekend? Sardinia. Sardinia. Okay. Interesting. Uh, as mentioned, the W Series is uh, at Austin along with Formula One for their final two races of the season. Uh, MotoGP is at the Misano World Circuit. Marco Simoncelli for the second Misano race. The uh, Motocross Grand Prix is in Portugal for the MXGP of Portugal. And we got NASCAR. Oh, my. They're also at Kansas City Speedway in Kansas City, Kansas for, you guessed it, the Hollywood Casino 400. Hollywood. Yep. Just down the road from Kansas. Kansas City, yeah, Kansas right. as well. Not Kansas City, Missouri. Throws me off every that's time. Right. Not much yeah. going on in the Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, Formula One's also this weekend. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, Friday, October 22nd, things kick off free practice one at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2, followed by free practice two at 4 p.m. on ESPN2. Saturday, October 23rd, sees free practice kicking off at 2 p.m. on ESPN News, followed by qualifying at 5 p.m. on ESPN News. And Sunday, everyone, the race, October 24th, 1.30 p.m. on ESPN 3. Oh, man. Finally, we made it. Three. Are you kidding me? The weirdest ESPN news or ESPN channel. For the American. Is that right? For our For the American. Gra- That's what ESPN's freaking website told no, me. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. ESPN 3 isn't always on cable, though. I don't think I get ESPN 3. ESPN 3 became like their digital thing. Is this thing on ABC? Oh, I wonder. Do they have the rights? True. Can I talk to you about something? Sure. I didn't know the Extreme E Championship had a sort of a... They, they had different event titles for this. So, like, the Saudi Arabia one was the Desert X-Prix. Uh-huh. And the... It's per biome, Sen- basically. Yeah, it makes sense. So, we're running out of biomes here is the problem, right? Senegal mm. was the Ocean X-Prix. Uh, that's the Greenland, very nature which of Extreme in- E is that, indeed, we are running out of biomes, Danny. Exactly, yeah. That's <sighs> the, the, the horrible <sighs> truth of this. Kangar Luskquad in Greenland was the Arctic X-Prix. Uh, Sardinia, of course, is the island X-Prix. X-Prix, it's hard to say that. Um, off the western coast of Italy, of course. Uh, we've had two, three cancelled ones. The Glacier one in Argentina, the Amazon X-Prix in Brazil. Um, I guess they'd never come up with an event name from Nepal, so we'll just have to wait on wait on uh, uh, ourselves for that one. But the, the final one, which you had alluded to in December, which is in Darset in the United Kingdom, uh-huh. is the Jurassic X-Prix. <laughs> You know, Darset. It's known for its dinosaurs. Dinos, dinosaur in the old country. Yeah, it's yeah, creamed pudding, creamed rice, and uh, and and Jurassic parks. <laughs> yep. I'm not. Uh, someone on hmm. on uh, motorsport Twitter had when that was released, when that was announced, had uh, photoshopped some Jurassic Park liveries <laughs> onto the Extreme E trucks. And they look awesome. I bet they I look great, actually. I will find that actually. and put that in the show yeah. notes. I, I, have a, I have a Wrangler, and every once in a while, I, I, I'll see someone who's done the 
the the the paint job and i'm like oh yeah. that does look cool yeah my yeah maybe tin of paint in a weekend <laughs> couple a couple of liveries might do Rob, it. any any updates on where people can watch this race I, like i keep saying things that that it's going to be on a- abc really um, okay yeah we- he his he just can't accept. His brain isn't able to accept it. It's like the Matrix. Everyone's too big for ESPN three. <laughs> Sorry, digital ESPN. Rob is literally turning on his television to check. Yeah, we're this. To the bottom. We of need this to right know. Now. We're this not is, ending this podcast. This is real journalism that's happening right here, right now. All right, so I've activated the guide view. I go, I go to sports and I scroll mm-hmm. to auto. Scroll pretty far for auto. Begins with A. You think it'd be pretty up there? Is that acrobatics? I'm, I'm, what the hell I'm, is that? I'm so anxious. Well, that's uh, yes. What's W yes WHD? I've never heard it. It's not it, it, my cable box is telling me it's not a channel I've never heard of. This is fun. <laughs> this is okay. Well, anyway, point is, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, okay i am on abc.com slash schedule i have scrolled to sunday at race time what and it showing? says formula one racing mm. well there we go not rated Ooh, wow saucy yeah we'll have to see who curses uh, on from, team radio from 10 30 a.m pacific time to 2 p.m oh, how good does that feel that's, that's watchable. Just, that's a good time. I might. I get to sleep in on a Sunday. None of this ESPN five three must nonsense. be. I think that's their streaming. Yes. Channel. That's the, so that's, that's digital, if you wanted yeah. to stream it on your computer, that's how you would do that. But ABC, ABC, or F one TV, or F one TV. Get that pit lane channel over the. You can watch Formula One over the air this weekend. Wow. Bunny With ears. With rabbit ears. I need to get bunny yeah. ears. With a ham radio. Can you imagine if like. Over the air HD, still the best. Uh, all right, final thoughts ahead of the U.S. Grand Prix, Danny. Excited. It's always a fun time, especially because I get to stay in my pajamas until the afternoon. Let's go. <laughs> final thoughts, Rob? Yeah, also excited. Uh, real interested to see how, what's what's going on with that track surface, whether the F1 drivers are onto something or whether they're just being big babies. Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the Ship, uh, Shift F1 official Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. Yeah.